welcome to the World of Speakers podcast brought to you by Speaker Hub. In each episode, we interview a professional speaker and reveal their very best tips and tricks. You'll learn to improve your presentation skills, keep your audience engaged, and learn how to grow your business to get more gigs and make more money. Here's your host, Ryan Foland. Ahoy, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the World of Speakers. Today, we are speaking with Robert Canope. He is the CEO of Assist You Today, and he essentially helps you and your company not become the next Sears. He does a lot of paid and professional speaking to bring awareness to his business, and today he is going to assist us in how he develops talks, how he engages the audience, and how he builds his speaking business. Robert, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ryan. Well, let's talk about you and learn a little bit about you in a somewhat non-conventional way. Instead of reading a bio for the audience and our listeners, I'm going to ask you to tell us a story from your past that shaped you. And what's fun about these types of standalone stories is that it gives me and the audience a lot of insight to who you are that's well beyond your bio. And then I'll make some assumptions and ask some questions, and then we'll get to know you, and then we'll ask you about your tactics, and then how you build your speaking business. So no pressure, but tell me one story that showcases like who you are as a person from a moment in time. Yeah, sure. So I'll give you a story about when I graduated college. And so last semester in college, I started thinking about, oh, oh crap, what am I going to do now? You know, this part of my life is over now. I've got to get a job and actually make money. So for me, I kind of approached it in a holistic manner. I looked at, okay, what did I want to do? And at the time I was, uh, I was actually a graphic design major, if you can believe that. And so I knew I wanted to live in a big city. Yeah, I was from a small town in Michigan and I knew I was much more of a, a big city rat than a, a country mouse. So I wanted to uh, move to a big city. So my first thoughts were, you know, I grew up in Michigan. So I'm thinking Detroit, I'm thinking Cleveland, Indianapolis, Chicago. I'm going to end up in one of those cities, right? But then I knew a couple cats that had moved out to Los Angeles the year before. And so I thought, wow, man, I can spend my whole life in Michigan and I'll be a very happy man. I love Chicago. I love Detroit, but I'll never know what else is out there. I'll never know what I could do, what I could be and what else I could see. So that sounds very Dr. Seuss-like when I say it like that, but that's okay. Oh, the places you go. Exactly, exactly. So I, uh, I started applying to places in Los Angeles. I was like, hey, why limit myself to the Midwest? Let me try LA and see what's out there. And lo and behold, I got a great offer from a place out in Los Angeles. And so I packed everything I owned inside my Oldsmobile Delta 88, drove cross country by myself uh, over the span of three days from Michigan to uh, Los Angeles. And you know, I've pretty much been here ever since. So I just took the plunge. So you were a country mouse, decided to go hang out with the city cats. That's right. And you never left. I never left. My original plan was to work my way up the coast, maybe do a couple years in LA, a couple years in San Diego, maybe San Francisco, Seattle, and then eventually move back to the Midwest, Chicago, Detroit, somewhere around there to be close to my family. But then I met my wife. Or it wasn't my wife at the time. You don't meet someone immediately become husband and wife, of course. But you know, meeting her, someone who pretty much was from Southern California, the whole idea of moving to the Midwest someday, yeah, that <laughs> that didn't go over incredibly well, as you can imagine. So yeah, we've been out in Southern California ever since. 
So the big question is how you went from digital design or graphic design to somebody who speaks as part of their core business. When did that bug hit? Was it intentional, accidental? Did it arise? How did you sort of determine or decide that speaking professionally could work? Is something that you wanted to do as a cat in LA? Yeah. I mean, for me, I was very happy doing graphic design, but I... I worked for an organization that company I mentioned that lost uh, three of their four biggest clients in a week back when entertainment cratered in LA around the turn of the century. So I ended up buying half the company and ran that for a few years. So I became a sales and marketing guy and I spoke all the time. Then I decided to go back to my roots and became a crib director at a Fortune 500. But then I kept getting pulled over to the sales and marketing side. So I decided I'm supposed to be a sales and marketing guy. So I decided to embrace that eventually. That then became my role and has been ever since. And I kind of just fell into the speaking thing. Honestly, um, people started asking me to come do speaking gigs. Those then increased over time. And before the whole pandemic hit, I would do, you know, probably about once a month, I would be either on the road in a panel or doing a keynote of some kind, sometimes some breakouts as well from a speaking perspective. And for my company, for my organization, that's how we get a lot of our leads you know, frankly, is uh, the speaking gigs that I have. So it's a, a great way to augment business for my organization. So I want to know about these tactics and actual strategy, which I'm assuming is rooted in some sort of sales methodology, how you develop, how you actually give your talks, more of the mechanics. Then we're going to jump to the business side of it on how we can help people gain more speaking gigs. But what is your either strategy or mantra? What is it from sales that you've learned that works in creating keynotes and creating presentations? Where would you start if you were going to step somebody through that process? Yeah, I mean, it all starts with, okay, what's the topic, right? What do you want me to talk about? And sometimes people reach out to me. Sometimes I reach out to them. Sometimes I get referrals you know, the things that I typically talk about are social selling, essentially how to use social media for sales, analytics, how to measure everything from a marketing sales perspective, innovation. I talk a lot on innovation as well. And so we always start with the broad topic, you know, okay, this is the topic we want to talk about. Okay, great. And then I reach out to the event organized and say, okay, now that we've decided we want to talk about innovation, for example, we'll use that as an example. Well, let me, let me actually stop and go like two steps back, like Janet Jackson, and then we'll get one forward. It sounded like you said there's a lot of topics that you speak about, and I want to know on that as a strategy. So you talk about this, and you talk about that, and you talk about this. I've tried to sort of niche into speaking about authenticity and core messaging. That's kind of like my swing zone. So is there roots in sales about having a more diverse base in which you can talk about? And is that part of the strategy saying, I have diverse topics? And is that part of that initial strategy? Yeah. So the things I speak on are the solutions that we provide. Okay. So you've taken what you're selling and you're reverse engineering into speaking topics. Precisely. And that makes sense since you're a sales first turn speaker. At the end of the day, you're monetizing your speeches, not only by your honorariums, but by reverse engineering those people to be clients. That's right. So for people listening who are maybe struggling with what topics to speak on, or they're just told by other people, you only need to speak in one lane this is another route to look at where first focus on what you're selling, reverse engineer the topics that are based on those sales, 
And then now you have this opportunity to then go narrow once you talk with an organizer. Absolutely. Okay. That sounds like a very sales tactical strategy to do. And I find a lot of people want to speak at more gigs. They want to be paid when they speak. And then when you ask them, okay, what are your topics that you speak on? There's not only an awkward silence, but then it's either a rambling number of a number of things, or I just feel like there's a lot of confusion within there. So I'm hearing you can take what you sell, reverse engineer the topics, and then once you have those topics, they can be multiple lanes, but it's once you connect with the organizer that you pick a lane. Yeah, and a lot of it is what the purpose of their conference is. You know, for example, if it's an analytics conference, talk about analytics. If it's a social media conference, talk about social media. Sales conference, we're going to talk about sales. And so we can pivot to the specific area of expertise based on what they want to focus on from a conference perspective. But that's when the fun stuff happens, reaching out to those event organizers and putting the spotlight on them and saying, okay, that's great. You want to talk about innovation. Okay. So now what specifically about innovation should we talk about? So, okay, well, I always start with the target audience. What do they look like? What kind of audience is it going to be? What are their typical pain points? Who shows up at these conferences? What are their roles? What are those things that they struggle with on a daily basis that I can then talk about from an innovation perspective? And So these are the questions that you're peppering to the organizer. That's right. Now, are you doing one at a time? Do you have a slate of questions that you ask? Because you ask, you sort of mention a whole bunch. And if I was an organizer, do you feel that they get a little overwhelmed or do you let them lead it? Like really the particulars of those conversations, because I think our listeners understand the best practice of talking with an organizer, but maybe not everybody has the experience to do it. So when they have the opportunity there might be a lot of stress and anxiety around it. Like, how do you frame this conversation? It's like, hey, let's connect from a, is it, do you call it a pre-call? Do you say, hey, I've got some specific questions. Do you send them over ahead of time so they're prepared? Like these are the little nitty gritty things that as a sales guy, you figured out, but maybe not everybody else has because they might be approaching it from a little differently. So like, how do we frame that call? How do you get them on the hook? Do they give you the time? Just give me a little information about that. Sure. I treat it like a discovery call, just like I would do from a sales perspective with a prospect is, you know, figuring out their objectives, figuring out their target audience, figuring out their pain points, figuring out what success looks like. It's like, what would you want people to know coming out of this? And do you send them that ahead of time or do you just pop them when you're live? I don't because I seem to get better responses in real time. Okay. If I send them over in advance, I get kind of generic answers. If it's personalized one-to-one, they're on the phone, I don't let them get off the hook with the generic answer. You dive one, two levels deeper until you get something that then you can actually use. Such a sales guy. I like it. It's good. (laughs) Now, do you warm them up with a bunch of easy questions so they say yes a bunch of times and then you've got them primed or are you just more like, all right, we're on the phone and let's connect? Uh, the former, definitely. We talk about, okay, I, you know, I pull up their LinkedIn profile and I find out things about them to, to talk about, you know, hey, where are they from? Where do they go to college? Where they, oh, we both work for Bank of America. Oh, wow, that's crazy. Where did you be there? I was there this year. I was there that year. Who'd you work for? And we get that rapport going. I say, okay, now let's, just like you would from a sales call, you develop that little bit of rapport, add a little bit of value early on, and then you start to dive into the questions, learn more about the conference in this case. Gotcha. All right. So 
the top three questions that you would need to get across? You listed a few of them, but if you had to narrow it down to the top three that give you as a speaker the most information in order to develop your speech, what would those be? What would the top three questions that you need to ask in a discovery call be? Yeah, for a conference presentation like this, it would be who typically attends this conference? Now, couldn't you make a guess at that just based on the conference? Or is it better to hear it from them? Right. I mean, it's uh, if it's a marketing conference, it's going to be marketing professionals. But uh, you ask what level? Is it more senior level people or is it more junior level people? So then that's, again, that you get down that nitty gritty, that extra level after the first question. Do they ever give you demographics? Like, could you ask them or have you asked them in the past of like registrant data from last year? Or is that too nitty gritty? I don't ask for the data, but I do ask from past conferences, is it primarily senior level folks, junior level folks? Do they focus primarily in CPG? Is it retail? Uh, you know, for example, I was giving a presentation innovation a couple years ago, and it was for an insurance conference. And so there was very little about the innovation talk that was insurance based. So since I know that this is for insurance individuals now that are primarily senior marketing level folks, I can say, okay, now based on that, I can tailor this to marketing and to insurance. And so I did some research on a lot of insurance things and pulled in most of the examples, not all of them, but a large portion of the examples from the insurance industry. So it was very topical to them. And so those people could get very actionable things from that speech that maybe if I just talked about you know, something about CPG or about automotive and use those examples, they would say, oh, well, that's not our industry. And it'll fall flat and they'll start checking their phone. So. Gotcha. So a deep dive on who's there at the audience and in particular, what level they're at and what they're hoping to essentially get out of it from that audience or from your potential customer standpoint. All right. Question number two, what would be the most important next to that? What are the typical pain points? Okay. And it's just nice and open-ended. So how aware are the organizers of the pain points of their audience? Well, sometimes that takes a while to tease that out. They may know, they may not know, but if it's an industry specific conference, they'll definitely know. If it's very high level and say it's a impact conference, for example, they might say, well, it's salespeople, they have sales problems. Okay. Well, let's, let's dive down lower. But I mean, I'm in sales, so I know a lot of the problems that they'll face. Maybe for that type of conference, I wouldn't ask that question, but it depends on the conference. Have you ever asked to be connected with any people who are going to attend the conference ahead of time to speak with them and actually take it one level further and talk with somebody who's registered at that conference to some extent? Yes and no. For this in particular, you know, I asked to crowdsource some questions and I've done that many times in the past. I'll reach out on my social media channels and say, hey, I'm talking at X conference about Y in about a month. Let me know what questions you'd like to be answered about whatever the topic is for that particular instance. So that way you get maybe 10 questions, especially if there's people that you know are going to be attending to your point that people want to hear if they're going to the conference. No, I think that's, that's a great idea to turn to social and find out other marketing professionals in an environment where it's safe for them to talk about their pain points because you have that info from the organizer about who's attending and you could even loop into the conversation those people that you have relationships with that fit that demographic, whether or not they're going to the conference. Right. One thing that I was surprised at for a, it was a conference, almost like a sales kickoff. And it was for a, a massive company. So it was only their own employees. 
And as part of that process, they offered to connect me with three of their employees from different divisions around the world to have pre-call conversations with them to make sure that I was going to be fully aware from that actual employee standpoint. So if it is an employee based and not necessarily just like, hey, open to the public, that's one thing that I always ask now is, hey, what are the chances I could talk with somebody on the East Coast, somebody on the West Coast, and then I'll incorporate those people or their stories without naming them. Say I was talking with somebody who runs out of your West Coast office and they were telling me a story. So it keeps them anonymous and it really ties within. So I love the idea of going to social. And I was surprised when they offered me the opportunity. But it's interesting if you can talk to an actual attendee, it's like one less removed from the whole operation chain. I do that a lot for training, actually. So if I'm going to be training a group of folks, I'll reach out to one or two highly respected individuals within that group. And I'll ask my contacts at the organization before we ever talk. Okay, so out of these, you know, 100 people that are going to attend this, give me two or three names that are your rock stars. That if it's say that we're launching a social selling program, give me your three best people that do this already. Let me talk to those people. We'll get a couple stories and like, oh, well, John's, you know, a top 10 sales guy and he's already doing this. Wow, I should do this. And sometimes I'll even have John talk. I'll, you know, prep him ahead of time. I'm going to give you two minutes. Give me a story about a success that you've had doing this already. And then it's okay, John, we were talking the other day. Do you want to share that story we were talking about? And it sounds like it's off the cuff and we just came up with this in the moment, but it was all rehearsed ahead of time. And it adds so much more credibility if it's coming from that person than some random third party guy that they don't know. I love that. So here, I just made up a new word, okay? What you're referring to is what I will often talk about as a mole. Not in a bad way, but like if you have a mole, right? I was giving a training the other day and I jump into the different breakout rooms and I was in one of the breakout rooms and they were already done. So I said, hey, when we come back to the main session, what are the chances you guys can beat my mole? And you're the first one to raise your hand and as soon as we get back, we're just gonna rock and roll. They're like, all right, I love it. So I go back to the main room. Hey, everybody, hope that was good. Do we have any volunteers? And Lisa's like, I'll do it. I'm like, great. It just like fired off this energy. So the idea is you talked about momentum. It helps to create the momentum. So I'm going to call it momentum. Oh, that's brilliant. So find moles that can help you create momentum. Like, yeah. you know, Eric Sim, uh, he's big on LinkedIn. I'll make sure to connect you there. But we've been coordinating. He was on this podcast. We did a clubhouse together. And his clubhouse room was great because he had like three or four moles with the questions that he wanted to bring up. And there was a lot of momentum, which (laughs) created momentum. So there we go. Love it. All right. Third question that you ask. We've got really dig into the demographics, but get deeper and deeper. We've got what are the pain points and see if you can get employees, high performers or people in the industry that can share their experience on social What's the third to bring it home as far as digging into the organizer to help develop your speech? What does success look like at the end of this? What would you want people to be saying when they walked out of this session? All right. Do you find that they know that pretty well or do they just like, what if they're like, well, they want to sell more? Like, because when we ask these general questions, sometimes we get the answers that we would expect. Are there any little salesy tricks or tips to getting a few levels deeper within that question? Yeah, that's definitely the hardest one. And that's the one that I I would say rarely get a really good response from right out of the gate. So for example, those innovation, they say, oh, well, they want to know current innovations. Like, okay, so current innovations in 
their industry or overall? And they go, oh, now we're getting on level deeper. And I was like, well, I would say overall, like, okay, so I know that they want a more high level versus a more targeted speech. Now, I might not want to go in that direction to make sure you capture so that way you mix in a combination of both. They say, I want them to have tactical things that they can take back to their company and launch in the next year. Great. Then we can say, instead of talking at the 30,000 foot level, we're going to talk about very specific things that they can take back with them. Okay. And are you ever prepared if they don't have an answer to have done some research and suggest what you think those would be to kind of grease the wheels, be your own mole for your own momentum within that call? Yeah. A lot of times I know the answers already, or at least I know what I think the answers are. And if they're struggling, I'll kind of lead them to water a little bit. It's like, hey, do you think they'll be looking for something like X or looking for something like Y? And like, oh, yeah. And then it spurs the conversation from there. Gotcha. So if we're taking what we've learned here from a sales first now speaker, we're looking at understanding not only the conference, but the people within the conference, the pain points within the conference, how they need to feel when they leave the conference. And then you're taking that and you're reverse engineering and creating a dynamic, compelling speech that's totally custom, correct? That's the plan. And typically I have a template. You know, the innovation speech that I've been using for the past few years is in 10 years, you'll never leave your house which I didn't realize how prophetic that would be because (laughs) (laughs) I've been giving it for, this would be the third year now. And hey, it all came true within two, unfortunately, but for the wrong reasons. So for that, for example, I'll have a template. And then based on what the answers are, I can add new examples to each one of these areas. I mean, the areas are going to be true regardless. Like, you know, some of the points were things like, well, I'll be working from home. So how does that apply to the automotive industry versus the technology industry versus the financial services industry, things like that. And so you have to bring examples in for each one of those industries. If it's that specific, if it's more high level and it's more of a keynote, then you can grab from all of them. That's the easiest one. You can just pick the best in show from each one or the most dynamic ones or the ones that you have easy videos to uh, include in your presentation. Okay. That's a lot of good stuff to unpack. But the problem is, None of that is any value if you don't have an opportunity to speak with the organizer, if you don't have the opportunity that people want you to speak on their stage. (laughs) And I will let a little cat out of the bag for you, Mr. Cat in Los Angeles, is that you are someone who practices what they preach. And you went on LinkedIn before this podcast and you asked people what they wanted to know while we were talking on this podcast. And they wanted to know how to get more speaking gigs. And I know you got this from multiple people, but just so happens that this section in the show is all about that. So let's dive into creating the opportunity to work through all that strategy you just talked about, because we can be very prepared and excited to talk with an organizer, but if there's no event and there's no <laughs> there's no organizer to talk to. So talk about a general question, like how do I get more speaking gigs? How would you even approach that because you could go a million different ways. Yeah, absolutely. First is sharing knowledge. A lot of what I do on social media is giving away information. It's been my experience. The more information you give, the more people want to work with you, whether that be from a professional perspective to have an engagement from a consulting area or from a speaking perspective. You know, I get at least one passive inquiry per month to do a speaking gig just from the content that I post. 
engaging with others, adding value with that content. So, wow, this guy's really smart. He's really talented. He's a guy we'd like to have come talk about X at our conference. Now, is that something that you are just delivering like the newsboy that's just throwing news on everybody's feed? Or do you at some point go and actually look to collect? And do you make a specific ask if you're looking for a speaker? So I think there's always that ratio. I think intuitively, we agree with you that the more thought leadership you share, the more it solidifies the brand crumbs that people find. And they're like, oh, this person. But is it solely just giving information out? And how do you plant the seed for them to hire you? Are there any particular strategies around that? Yeah, one of the easiest things to do in your profile, you can talk about how you're a speaker. You know, if you look at my LinkedIn profile in the about section, it talks about how I was a, a two-time LinkedIn sales convention speaker and how I've spoke at this and that, and I typically talk about X, Y, and Z. So the little debate that you have is the free information. And then, wow, this guy seems smart. Let me check out his profile. Oh, he does speaking gigs. Like, oh, I want, this guy could come talk at my event. Or... What's even better is speaking events that you do have, you just promote the heck out of them before, during, and after the event, which showcases without you soliciting anybody that you're smart, that you're talented, that you do a lot of speaking events, that you're in demand. It showcases the topics you typically talk about as well. So it's free advertising. The voice and tone is really key of those posts. So it doesn't sound like you're bragging or it doesn't sound like you're soliciting. But if you talk about you know, what you're doing and the value that you're providing, and you have some things behind the scenes that I can talk about in a second as well, that builds a nice pipeline of interested individuals that creates demand for you. So you know, for myself, I'm a busy guy. I'm running my business. I don't have a lot of time to go out and actively search for new speaking engagements. So this is a way for me passively to stay top of mind with those individuals that would want to have me as a speaker and have that steady inflow of demand. Okay. One thing that you talked about as far as the tone, I'd be curious to get a little deeper there because when you're sharing that you have a speaking event coming up, there's the promotional aspect of it. Maybe any tips on making it seem like you're not being a braggart about it. Then when you're actually saying, hey, like the talk is now, we're going live now, or the conference is now. Sometimes that could be the boy who cried wolf if you've said it a whole bunch of times before. And then after the fact, like, where is the line drawn when you're sharing a humble brag of, hey, I just spoke at, or what are some of the tactics to come across less salesy and more, shall I say, baity to let people make their own decisions? So if you can give us some social selling tips that are not passive aggressive, not humble braggy for the beginning, the middle and the end. Because sometimes, and I can say for myself, that tone is hard because you want to share, you're excited, you want people to, you want to support the conference, you want to be somebody that helps to drive attendance and build their community. But that's kind of a fine line. And so I'm sure that others are curious because I am too. What are some social selling tonal hacks from promoting, saying it's happening, and then after the fact. Yeah, so beforehand, like a month before the conference even happens. And again, this kind of works into uh, you know the sales side of it as well. I'll reach out to secondary connections that I know are attending the conference, maybe from the conference speakers or are 
connected to people that I know that are in the area. And I'll you know you use the secondary connection to get the warm intro. You get the connection and you talk about, hey, I'm going to be in town in uh, about a month speaking at this conference. Would you be interested in grabbing a cup of coffee while I'm there? So wait, this isn't a direct message. This isn't even publicly. Yeah. You're beforehand finding individuals that are either speakers or that you can somehow find or search that they're going to be in that area. And you're not saying, hey, I'm speaking. Come watch me speak. You're saying, hey, I'm speaking. You want to grab a coffee? That's right. And to me, that's more the sales side of it. And that's actually how we met, Ryan, if you remember correctly. Yeah. We were speaking at a conference three years ago. I saw you were speaking. I'm like, this guy, and I looked at uh, one of your TED Talks. I said, wow, this guy's smart. He's talented. He's someone I want to meet in person. So I reached out on LinkedIn. We connected. We grabbed coffee after one of the sessions, and we've been friends ever since. So it works. Look at you practicing what you preach. I know. It's crazy. Sneaky <laughs> sales guy, which is a, in a good way. It's not a pejorative thing. Okay, so you're setting some bait for people in a connective way, individually. What do you do publicly so that you don't seem like a braggart if you're saying, hey, I'm speaking at this event coming up, and do people even sort of care? I don't know. You're the LinkedIn specialist, so what would you do there? Sure, and it gets into you know meeting those secondary people that are, you know are going to be at the conference and attend. They can help promote your event, too. So you can promote their speaking, like, hey, check out my good friend Ryan at this conference. And you could say, hey, check out my good friend Rob. It always holds so much more weight when it comes from someone you know and you trust and someone's talking about someone else. If I say I'm great and you should attend my speaking event, people are like, oh, wow, he's talking about himself. If Ryan says, hey, Rob is great, you should attend his event. Like, oh, wow, that I trust Ryan. He's a smart guy. He's not talking about himself. He's talking about this Rob guy. Maybe I should check out this Rob guy. So that holds a lot more weight. So that's one way you can do it is kind of sharing each other's stuff. Now, do you make that ask or do you just assume or you do it and hope that they follow? You make the ask. Yeah, you okay. ask them like, hey, so I've got an idea for us to get more people at these shows and to spread our word and to, to get a lot more views. Because the point of all this is you want to get the thousand people that are going to be at the conference to attend your event or attend your speech. That's great. But you want to have 100,000 people know about it outside of that conference. That's the real value of uh, spreading the word before, during, and after the event. So beforehand, you do want to have the a post or two. I mean, not a whole lot. and Probably more on Twitter than on LinkedIn because you don't want to do too many posts on LinkedIn about it. But let people know, hey, really honored to be speaking at X conference about why we're going to do a deep dive on A, B, and C. Let them know this is what you're going to get out of it. And this is perfect for this type of role. So like, hey, if you're a senior leader within marketing, this is the kind of stuff we're going to be talking about. These are the types of people that it's targeting and then maybe have a picture of one of your slides. So you give them a teaser ahead of time so people know, hey, this is what I'm going to get is this type of stuff. This is other things he's going to be talking about. And it's pretty well in advance, two, three weeks in advance. Say, hey, and if I can give you a 20% discount on the conference, if you want to attend, check it out in the first comment so that you can get that as well. So you give them information. It's more about helping against. You're giving away information. You're showing them an example and you're giving them a discount all in one post, for example. Interesting. So when you're, you, we're, we're covering this idea of finding alliances at second level connections to help them promote you, you promote them. That doesn't come across as much self-promotional. Then when it comes to the actual sharing closer to the date, anything in particular that you do? And remember, we're in this context, we're taking the gigs that we've gotten to help us get more gigs. That sounds like what the strategy is. Yeah. To get more gigs, 
maximize the exposure of the gig so that whether a thousand or a hundred or three people come to your session, a hundred thousand people see it. You might come off top of mind when you're dropping these brand crumbs, they see that you're smart, they see that you're active, and then they go for it. So when it comes to sharing closer to the time of the event, any sneaky sales strategies there? Yeah. So it's kind of the, the Instagram approach. So what I like to do is I like to take a picture of when I'm on the plane, for example, if I'm flying somewhere, this is more applicable to 2019 than uh, 2020 and hopefully 2021 as well. Taking a picture outside the window, you know, if you got a window seat or when you have like the landscape or if you're going to uh, like Boston or New York or San Francisco, some iconic. You're building momentum, showing the process and the trip and the plane and the travel and. Right. And you say something along the lines of. The Instagram approach. I like this. Yeah. So excited. Just landed in New York, pumped up to give my speech on X at Y conference uh, Wednesday. Hope to see you all there. And then, you know, a couple of clever hashtags at the bottom. If it's on Twitter or on LinkedIn, you maybe have a little more information than that. I like it. The Instagram approach when the event is approaching. Right. Then how do you repurpose the content? How do you say and sort of still create bait after the conference is done and gone? Well, even while you're there, I mean, that's before. The during is actually just as important as the before. So the during is you have people take pictures of you while you're actually doing it. Say, I did an interview with LinkedIn. We did a lot of content last year in February. It took a lot of behind the scenes photos that I've been posting for a year talking about that content and using those different photos to showcase, hey, like the behind the scenes look, that's what people always like. They like to see how the sausage is made just as much as eating- Spicy Italian sausage, yes. Exactly. So that kind of stuff is really important. You can post that the during, you know, hey- have someone take a photo of you while you're on stage. I've done this a million times. Hopefully they don't steal your phone or meet someone in the- uh, Moles, they're photo moles. Right, or uh, one of the people putting on the event, like, hey, would you mind taking a few photos of me on stage? And then as soon as you get done, they send to you posting, hey, just got done with my speech at X. But even before your speech starts, within the conference app, and I got this idea, I forget who it was, at a conference a few years ago, because usually when you're at a conference, they post up, the Twitter feed on one of the screens, right? To say, this is what people are saying about it. And so they posted, hey, my speech is coming up in 30 minutes in conference room three. Make sure you all attend. And we're talking about X, Y, and Z. I'm like, oh my God, it's a great idea. So from now on, I always do, you know, the day before and the day of in the conference app itself, you promote that. So you get more people to attend while they're there instead of going to people if it's a breakout session, for example. So make sure you do that as well. So I've got a funny little short story about how you can get recognition as a speaker at a conference when you're not even a speaker. Okay, give it to me. It was 2015 or 2016, and it was my second year attending Social Media Marketing World. I was a guest. I was just learning. I was loving all the information. But the first year, I took so many notes, like five, six, seven pages of notes. I had my like taking pictures and notes. And then it was only until the next year when I was searching for something unrelated on my Google Drive that I saw this like eight to 10 pages of notes that I didn't do anything with. Like I had all intention, but I didn't do anything with it. So I decided the next year that I went back, I would leave my computer, leave my iPad, only use my phone and everything that I thought would be notable, I turned it into something that I would tweet. So in real time, essentially the same eight pages of notes turned into hundreds, if not a couple thousand tweets. That not only got me at the top level of the most active tweeters, 
But I had to leave the conference early and I was on the train coming home and I got all these messages and everybody blew me up and they're congratulations. I'm like, what are you talking about? I got named the top speaker <laughs> at social media marketing world because everyone just assumed that I was speaking because I was just all over the place. Right. And I actually called that a tweet NATO. And then I repeated and duplicated that everywhere. So what you're saying resonates with me in that I would tweet like all of my notes and all of the things and speaker this, and this is what they said. And I tagged them all. And I've made so many great connections. And even though my speaking gig was an hour in that whole two or three day conference, it gives that long tail effect. And so I'm glad that you reminded me of that funny little crazy story. And I did the same thing, maybe not to that degree, but for at least, you know, every other speech, make sure you post something and make sure you engage with other people's posts. I mean, you know, as well as I do, social media is all about reciprocity. You know, if you engage with someone else's post, they're going to engage with yours. And I'd say that speaking is about reciprocity too. Like, you know, we've connected multiple times over the years, swapping notes, referring stages, saying, hey, I'm on this podcast. Uh, Would you like the intro to that podcast? So just being active at the conference and being connecting with other people and mentioning, tagging and meeting with them, like that's all the things outside of your actual talk. That's right. But that's what helps you get more gigs. I've gotten so many gigs as referrals off of speakers, and maybe that's not super intuitive if you're starting. So this is all great stuff. Let's close it up with what you do after the fact. Sure. We know we've got TweetNados, we're in the app, we're using all of the tools during that time. And then we come back, it's a week later. Let me give you one more during though. And this is probably the most important thing that you can do when you're at a conference. Those individuals you meet, you're going to meet 50 people a day, right? At the end of the day, you've got a stack of business cards and a stack of Twitter IDs, right? You look all those people up on LinkedIn that same day and you send them an invitation to connect. Hey, great to meet and chat for a little bit today or really enjoyed talking with you on Twitter today. I'd love to stay in touch you'll get a 90% acceptance rate if you do it that same day. Mm. If you wait two weeks until you like, oh, I forgot to connect with these people, no chance, right? They met 50 people a day for four days. They're not gonna remember who the heck you are. So fortune is in the fast follow-up. Proximity is key, exactly. And you could just allocate an hour or two after the conference, maybe before the party or whatever else, to sit there and focus and get all that done. Great stuff. Right, even after the party. I don't care for me. I don't care if I get back from midnight, from dinner and drinks, meet with a bunch of people. I will pull open my laptop. I will look everybody up and I will send them invites. It is absolutely imperative to do that as soon as possible. All right, so then you're home. It is two weeks later. You've already contacted everybody and you feel like the steam has left the engine and you're like, now what? How can you maximize to create a little bit of bait so that people can buy into hiring you as a result of this content that they're seeing? Any tips or tricks? Sure. First thing is a couple days after the conference, send those people, all those people you connect with on LinkedIn, send them a follow-up note saying, hey, was great to meet you at the conference. We'd love to continue the conversation about X. Do you have time to talk in the next couple of weeks and send them some examples? That's the first thing you do. So privately, you do that. Publicly, about a week after the event, those pictures that people took of you while you were on stage you post those on your social media channels and said, wow, had a great time at X conference talking about why. Thank you so much to all of these people and then tag all the event people. It gives them free notoriety. It makes them say, oh, wow, look at all the stuff that Rob did to promote our conference. We should have him back again next year. And so make sure you tag all those people. I've done posts. I've gotten 50,000 views. Just thank you posts. 
that all they see is thank you to X company and tagging the 10 people I worked with from the event. And oh, by the way, it was great to meet these 20 people. So I tag like 30 people in the post. I get, you know, 200 likes, 70 comments and 50,000 views. And suddenly, oh, wow, I'll get another speaking gig just from thanking people about my last speaking gig. Right. In sales, it's probably easier to upsell than it is to get a new sale. Absolutely. And then finally, if there is a conference recording, and sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't, but if there is a conference recording, that's your thing about a month after. It's like, hey, I know a lot of people, and this may be true, this may not be true, Ryan, but because a lot of people were asking me about the speech I gave at X conference about why. Here's the link to the recording we talk about and lay out at each point, you talk about things. So don't just say, here's the recording and that's it. Say at 11 minutes, I talk about X. At 19 minutes, we discuss Y. At 27 minutes, we go over Z. So they have exactly where in the presentation, if they wanna jump to a certain thing to get one key data point and give like five of those. So it's like, wow, it also showcases all the great information that's in it without saying, hey, look at all the cool things I talked about. Okay, well, I'm going to probably send a thank you and name you, and then maybe we'll get 50000 on that if I tag a whole bunch of other people and whatever else. Maybe I'll dish up some of the old footage from the conference that we spoke at together like five years ago Here we go. and then drop that as well. But I'm not trying to be cheeky, but I'm just sort of starting to think now about missed opportunities of promoting before, during, and after. And some of these new strategies of promoting before, during, and after. I'm also of the school of thought. I don't do much outbound. A lot of it is just inbound. And that's because I'm focused on creating content, adding value. But this really solidifies a lot of those little particulars that we can all do as speakers to get more gigs in a way that's just providing value, promoting, sharing gratitude, showcasing other speakers other than yourself and wrapping it in a way where it's not a humble brag. You're just excited about sharing something that you're involved with. And that creates positive aura and a good brand halo for you to get hired back, you to be referred, and you to maintain your reputation as a speaker. And so for those people that are asking, how do you get more speaking gigs? I think this is a really nice laid out plan that doesn't have any smiling and dialing. It doesn't have any aggressive sales tactics. It's using tactics from sales to leave bait, to let people bite on their own. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Robert, if people have seen your posts, they want to follow you or they want to get connected or they want to have you come speak at their event, where do they go to find out how you can assist them? <laughs> well, the best thing is LinkedIn for me. I probably spend three to four hours a day on LinkedIn. Robert Knope, last name K-N-O-P. I'll be the first one that comes up. Don't worry. And... Um, yeah, that's the best place to get in touch with me. You'll get a lot of free content as well. I mean, I, I post nothing but value-added content and a lot of authentic thank yous, you know, quite frankly, to a lot of people and promote other people. So always happy to help people whenever I can. I've been thankful enough to be able to get four people new jobs this year too, which is fun in this kind of market. So always happy to connect on LinkedIn. That is awesome. Well, thank you. And a special shout out to Speaker Hub for sponsoring this awesome podcast and doing a lot of the heavy lifting behind the scenes so that it comes out nice and polished so that I can share it before it comes out, so that Robert can share it when it comes out, so that we can create posts about it after it comes out. And if you don't know about Speaker Hub, it's a platform where you can host your wares as a speaker. 
You can provide your videos, you can put your speakers real, you can put your accolades, your articles. It is a place that you can showcase and it's a place where you can find speaking gigs. There's a full search engine that pulls in all kinds of feeds. And if you do want to try to find gigs, you can go out there and try to find them via Speaker Hub. That's speakerhub.com. Thank you to my Speaker Hub family. And thank you, Robert, for being here today and for making that initial second degree outreach because you knew I was speaking on the same stage. And who would have thunk that, what, four or five years later, here we are talking, uncovering the selling secrets that you used against me <laughs> as some of the best content here on my podcast. So I pre- that's a very inception full loop there. I would like to say uh, enhanced instead of used against you. But I mean, terminology, terminology. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, this is just good. I see what you did there. Augmented. I augmented. Bottom line, sales doesn't have to be sneaky, but there's a reason why good salespeople sell more than those who are not. And if you're a speaker, you might not be a salesperson, but you can learn from a salesperson who became a speaker. And Robert, you assisted us with that today. So thank you again. Thank you, everybody. If you want to find me or hire me and bring my energy to your stage, all you have to do is go to ryan.online and you can find out more. Until next time, everyone, speak up, speak out, share. And uh, we will see you next time on The World of Speakers, wherever you are in the world. Adios. Adios.